that, you can hear us prepping for the show on the air. That's just high-quality radio. Wait, I was already on? Depends on how the magic of editing I do is for this. Oh, my. What the? You got to warn me of these things. The, the microphone is always hot. Radio rule number one. You're always in front of a hot microphone. Oh, my gosh. You know, I wasn't. You got to warn me. This is crazy town. What is happening? Also depends on how much you trust your production crew. Well, I now I don't. I thought I did until they wanted me to take a tequila shot. That was rude. <laughs> that was rude. So I had to get up early the next morning. Uh, I I stayed up till three a.m. to watch soccer. I actually don't think I had to get up. What night did we even do that? Was it like a Monday? No, it was a Saturday. I don't a, know. A, a Saturday. Oh, no, I got to sleep in the next day. That was great. An, an appropriate time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So speaking of that, let's just throw that in here right away. Quick touch on the Women's World Cup that we hadn't really planned on talking here at the top of the show. As we're recording this, uh, this will be a little bit further along, but we've got the semifinals on their way to being set. But the big story, the women, U.S. women getting bounced, made it to the knockout round. And I will admit that I am not really a soccer fan. But women make it to the knockout round and play Sweden, who I had no idea. Sweden's like a top five team in the women's side. But me being in and out of consciousness at three and four in the morning trying to watch that and then going back asleep, I remember being awake for the PKs. I don't really know what happened before that. But I think the lesson we learned here is that the goalie is really good for the U.S. women, but we just didn't have any offense. The lesson learned is that if you score zero goals in two straight games, you don't have a high chance of uh, coming out on top. So if you go 90 minutes without a goal and 120 minutes without a goal, it's the U.S. women are just kind of going through a little bit of a, fluctu- a, a, a change of the guard, I think, a little. And so, you know, the Alex Morgans, Megan Rapinos of the world, they're getting a little bit older, and then the young crew's coming in. And they said, not to say that they're not talented, Sophie Smith, and there's a handful of others. Uh, Rose, I figured her name, Rose, I think is her first name. Um, they're all really, really talented. They're just young. And so they lack in the experience. And when you're the world in the U.S., or for the women's, is just coming along, and they're a lot better now than they have been um, historically. So they can't just rely on you know what they've been doing for the last handful of years and and winning the the uh i would they have four win four world cup championships yeah. five yeah, we we won the last two so it's nice that we're letting yeah. somebody else play i guess so but why would we be why would you ever be want to be nice to the world just, we, are, we are the world we are the world so we we america has won four of the eight women's world cups first one was in 1991 so we won 91 99 and then the last two 2015 2019 we tied slash eventually lost, it looks like, in 2011. Can you name the either any any or all of the three countries that have won World Cups who are not us? Japan. Japan is the 2011 one. That's when we lost on ties, it looks like, or penalty kicks, whatever. Brazil. Incorrect. Brazil lost to one of these teams in 2011. England. Incorrect. England has never been to the finals. Which France. Incorrect. It's, I don't, one is a team I think you would get, and one is a team that I don't think anybody is, would ever guess was in the World Cup, but they lost the first one and won the second one. China? Ooh, incorrect. China did lose to us. So the, the 99, the Brandy Chastain ripping off the yeah. jersey, that was when we beat China. That was yeah. the only time China made the finals. So we won the last two. Japan was before us. 03 and 07 back-to-back for the Germans. Okay. And then us with the Brandy Chastain. I was slowly moving west, <laughs> so I was going to get there. but 
And then 1995, Norway. Norway beat Germany. Oh, I would have never got that. <laughs> no way. So would you like to pick a team? Your options are Spain, Japan, Sweden, England, Colombia, Australia, France. I'm going to pick Sweden because they beat us. So there's never a better feeling than losing to the eventual champions. So, because uh, I think, I mean, I don't, I guess you probably don't have the rankings in front of you, but I'm, they must be the highest ranked team that's left because I think the number two team also lost, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Yeah, I don't, I don't know my soccer, but that was a big thing coming out of the group stage. Germany lost and they were out. Um, I feel like Canada may be okay. They got bounced. China got bounced. Portugal got bounced. Brazil got bounced. So, yeah, I think a lot of the heavy hitters were gone. So, with us, us out of the equation it's kind of anybody's i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with japan i think japan takes out spain we'll see how smart we sound when this actually airs got japan over spain and give me the aussies i know the aussies have to get through france and potentially england but home pitch they call it pitch home pitch or is it home field in soccer football i don't know home pitch advantage for the aussies give me australia to beat japan to win it on their home turf Home turf. There we go. That's the word we turf. were looking for. <laughs> That's it. Even though they play on grass, it's the home turf. It's such a complicated, in-depth you... thing. All right. Anything else on the World Cup that we didn't plan on getting on but jumped right into? Uh, the U.S. needs to figure their life out. Okay. I think they're going to hire. I, th- I, I think it's be, the be I, fine. Part of it is coaching. I mean, I, I, like I said, this is the rumor. I get. I suppose I actually don't read too much into it, but I do know that there's a lot of. Uh, backlash on how the coaching went um and also the the picks of players potentially as well so we'll see if there's any moves being made or roster changes coaching changes because they didn't win the olympics yet i think they also lost to sweden in the olympics right are they our enemy now and uh well i think it'll probably always be canada but Mm. um so we'll see kind of what happens with in in that you know, are they going to decide to make a coaching change and find someone else? Are they going to re- kind of lean on their guy and, and know that he's going to be the one that uh, is going to be there for the long haul and kind of, you know, because that's kind of been their path is just hold on to a coach for 10 or so years and, and then move off from, from there. So we'll kind of find out what the, what's going to happen. But um, for the way that it stands now, um, that's kind of the hottest topic is, is what they're going to do um, with that. So we'll see. Yeah, I th- I think they'll be fine. Come back in a the next cycle, and these players are just going to mature, get better, refine their skills. I think when you have Lindsey Horan, see if Julie Ertz comes back for another time. But players like Lindsey Horan, Sophia Smith, maybe Alex Morgan. I'm not sure if she still has it, but otherwise, I think there's a lot of younger players. Crystal Dunn, Sophia Smith, and Alyssa Thompson, 18 year old, still coming along. So I think there's plenty of youth. Just a let's call it a fluke, not the predictor of the future. That's right. Uh, speaking of uh, bad omens, though, Pac-12, how you feeling? Well, uh, as a football fan, it's awesome. You are the first person I've heard to be optimistic about this. As a Pac-12 fan, it's horrible. Well, let's let's take the Pac-12 perspective back up here a little bit in case anybody is not aware. The Pac-12 has basically caved in on itself in the month of August, and it's been kind of a weird soap opera. When we started getting conference realignment, it was clear, okay, the SEC and the Big Ten are the two top dogs. Are we going to get to four super conferences? 
And for a long time, it was, well, the Big 12 is going to be the one that's going to fold because we need to have a West Coast presence. So the Pac-12 is safe. The ACC has a lot of big established schools like Virginia, Duke, North Carolina, Miami. They're fine. So it's like the Pac-12 or the Big 12 is the one that's going to get divvied up. And then we get flashback a year ago, USC and UCLA are, you know what? We're sick of this. Bye. We're out of here. We're going to the Big 10. And then within a week, Colorado jumps to the Big 12. Oregon and Washington are going to the Big Ten, and now we have the, as we call them, the four, four corner schools joining Colorado, Utah, and the Arizona programs joining the Big Twelve. And then there were four in the Pac-12. So let's let's start there from the Pac-12 side of things, and then we'll look at the football fan side of things. Yeah, you know, it's gonna be. I, <laughs> I don't know that. I guess I haven't read up on it to see what the game plan is going to be for those schools, but you know, you it is. If you were to project the four schools that would have stayed, that probably would be the four schools that um, potentially um, would have been the four left over. Um, even if I didn't, I, I didn't think anybody would want the Arizona schools. I figured. Yeah, but there's a market down there, and they're That's kind true. of a standalone team a little bit, both of them, right? Because it's just you get the corner of the country, um, and there's really no other uh, – like Phoenix, people don't realize, is a top five pop- populous city in the – in the nation. So, um, there's just a, there's, there's a bigger market down there than people think there is, you know, Tempe and Arizona state, I think is that in terms of student population, they're upwards of 50,000, 60,000 students. Um, and so you think about the money and the journalism and, uh, at what they can offer, uh, is a big deal. Um, so, so I, I just, you know, cause really in this is you say no offense, no offense, but, so Oregon State's a good school for what it is. Washington State's a good school for what it is. But in terms of the athletic plus plus the academic, so they're just when it comes to the other schools, they're just they don't offer as much as um like the Oregons and the Washingtons of the world. Which there's so many different directions to go with this conversation. It's so the Pac twelve was founded in nineteen fifteen. The f- as a Pac eight? As the probably the Pac Eight. Well, they had four members. There were four founding members, two of them still standing with Cal and Oregon State. The original four were Cal, UW, Oregon, and Oregon State, and then uh, Wazoo came in, and then Stanford. So those teams. So from 1915 to 1918, we had those six, and so four of those are the ones still standing. The rest came along later. You know, Utah and Colorado were. That's why Colorado came over. Everybody thought, well, the Big the Big Twelve is going to implode. Colorado, Missouri, and Nebraska jump shipped early, so it's which it seemed like the right move at the time. Right, everybody thought the Big Twelve was going to get divvied up and it was going to fall on its face. And and all in all, for sports, I just think it's such a bad thing for all of college sports to lose the Pac twelve. It's been around for so long and has so many great programs that have left. But yeah, well, the whole the whole the the bigger deal here is. That people have to realize that football is a totally different sport than everything else. So, but the problem is, is the SEC is out for the SEC and the Big Ten's out for the Big Ten and the Big 12's out for the Big 12. Like, they don't care about college football. They don't care about what's going on in the Northwest. They care about is the SEC going to make more money than they made last year? And that's that's the the big crux of this is let football be its own thing. Spin off football into whatever you want it to be. Have the whatever four power conferences do their own thing in football and then let everybody else do their own thing. Keep the Pac-12, and I, I don't know if this is even possible, 
But if all the Pac-12 schools want to come back in and maybe you invite in some of the neighboring smaller schools, have that for basketball. This is, again, I get a, get on several soapboxes here. It's not about student-athletes. It's about money, mostly TV money. It's all about the TV deals. That's this whole thing. Who can get the most TV money for football? And it felt like the Pac-12 was the one that's like, oh, it's about, it's about academics, Boise State being the best example. Boise State's not big enough and good enough and doesn't have the academics to get in the Pac-12. But imagine in 2005 you added Boise State to football. It would have been fantastic. I feel like football should be its own thing, and now your lacrosse and soccer and softball and volleyball and maybe even your basketball programs are suffering because if you are playing for UCLA and you have to go to Rutgers in Maryland to play a volleyball match on a Tuesday? One volleyball match. One match. Right, and you're expected because great athletes, but the the odds of them making millions of dollars as pros compared to football players or basketball players are not as high. So th- those are the actual student-athletes who are going to suffer from this unless they find a workaround where – like the Pac-12 does with wrestling, where Cal Poly, CSU Bakersfield, and of all schools, Arkansas Little Rock are part of the Pac-12 for wrestling, or UC Davis is joining for women's lacrosse. I just I feel like football should spin off and be its own thing, and then let's keep the other schools together. But I don't know if that genie's out of the bottle that can all these other schools come crawling back to the Pac-12 just for their non-revenue sports. Yeah, and I believe that too, right? Like, say football just creates so much more money than every other sport does. You can argue basketball is probably the same way. And so, so at what point do we create an or like a governing body, get rid of the NCAA, or just have the have the football and basketball break off from it? Create a commissioner or a board of directors or somebody that can overlook, you know, what's going on in the football world with NIL and the transfer portal and you know the money revenue and the TV and everything else. And, you know, it, is it going to look like – would it look more like the NFL? Yeah, it already kind of does. Right. Um, but it's a, if we're going to look like the NFL, we might as well have some rules like the NFL does. You know, otherwise the free agency, the transfer portal is going to go – it's going to be the wild, wild west, right? You have people transferring after four games because they didn't get enough playing time, right? Why are you transferring midseason? Like why is that okay? And they're going to get playing time at the school that they're going to go to. Is that is that how it should work? No, that's not how it should work. Why is there, you know, Bryce Young making $5 million a year in college based off of NIL deals? Because there's collectives at the schools. They basically get all the donors together. They all write a check, put it into one big bank account and say, here, take this. You know, they basically give it to the athletic director or the head coach and say, use this as you will to pay whoever you want to pay. And it's it's guaranteed. It's basically a guaranteed contract before they even step foot on the NFL field. Which I don't think that they shouldn't make money, but they should make money based off of, you know, hey, we sold you know five thousand number five jerseys yesterday from USC. You know, who should that money go to? Well, probably Reggie Bush. Instead of paying these student athletes to go to Alabama because they have the biggest donor base. And that was one of these questions we can flesh out more at a later date. We're kind of trying to blitz through a lot of stuff right now. It felt like we opened the floodgates and legalized everything at one point in time. Which is the best and which was the worst for college football? I guess I'm trying to think in terms of the schools, in terms of the players, in terms of the fans. I don't know how to break it down, but just best and worst. You have NIL, conference realignment, and the transfer portal all kind of became legal or just just a mad rush at the exact same time. So those three. Well, that? and you know, I don't think that there's the. I don't think there's no. You can't answer that question. There isn't because they are all are great and all are bad. Like there's no. I mean, you really think like is a transfer portal good? Yeah, it's good. Ooh. Uh, you I know, think transfer portal is 
NIL for my for whatever it's worth. NIL is my, my answer for the best. But carry on. Yeah, I said so, well, having a little brother playing in college football, I think that the transfer portal makes. It, I, but I just think that there needs to be rules. Right. That's like you say. You, sh- you shouldn't be able to transfer. I think okay, you maybe get to transfer twice, but once you're with a school. You can't Quinn Ewers fleece Ohio State out of a couple million dollars and then go back to Texas. Yeah, like or you, say, you shouldn't be able to transfer after four. You know, games. and there should be like if the coach leaves, right? Then there should be free transfer. I think that's okay. You know, or uh, like mom dies and you're going to school Just, two thousand miles away. Yeah, like you should be able to transfer back and it would be okay. You know, but it said, oh, I didn't get enough playing time. Oh. You know, it's said, oh, the person in front of me decided that they wanted to be better than I was. So all of a sudden, okay, so now what? You're just going to transfer out because you didn't like what, the situation that you went to school to in the first place? Like, Justin Fields, I, and he's an NFL quarterback. You know, he was really, really good. He lived in Georgia, and he committed to go to the University of Georgia when they were starting a five-star quarterback that was a freshman, Jake Fromm, the year before. You should know that when you go there that you're probably not going to win that starting job. So why are you going? You should you should understand that before you go there. Instead, he goes there for one year, transfers to Ohio State. It's like, well, why did you like? What was what was the reasoning behind that? Like, what was the reasoning behind that? Why would you just go to Ohio State in the first place, or you right. know, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama? Like, there's a handful of other schools that he could have gone to, but instead he wanted to because he thought that he could, you know, whatever. So there's just needs to be some different regulations on that, and. I, I I mean, truthfully, I don't disagree. The NIL is good too, but there's no I don't. The reason I don't like the NIL is because there's no guardrails. Right. So like NIL is good because it's stupid that if a if some if some you know donor or some athlete, I guess if some athlete sells you know you buy a number like I guess I always bring up number eight Oregon jersey number say, five is, USC jersey let's say what is Caleb Williams number 13 13 number 13 USC jersey like whose jersey are you buying everybody knows but they don't see any money from that yeah I don't think that's okay right so that part I understand that part yeah they should be able to make money off of that they should be able to make money off of their YouTube shows they should be able to make money off of TikTok they should be able to go get a job whatever all those things are should be all legal but when you talk about the collectives and you talk about signing a a two million dollar, you know, more or less contract with the biggest booster that can donate to the university, and all of a sudden, you know, Texas A and M, you look at all those athletes. There is a video of an athlete going, "I'm getting paid by him, getting paid by him, getting paid by him," pointing up to all the glass houses that are inside the stadium. Right. Like, why is that? Like, there's got to be a balance. There's got to be somewhere in between where, say, so these athletes are still making money because they're bringing in tons of money to the universities. If you watch the Johnny Manziel documentary, <laughs> or and uh, just making just like basically buying off every recruit that you can get because you know that you have the most money out of all the universities in the conference. All right. Yeah, it's it's a weird, sticky situation and a lot of moving pieces that it's it's going to be about money. And I think you hinted at this at this earlier. I want to put a bow on this here quick. Are you surprised that the teams that are currently left behind? I, I don't know why the Big 12 wouldn't just come and grab who's left. There's talks of Cal and Stanford going to the ACC because the academic prestige. Are you surprised that it's Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford currently left out in the cold? Because of all the schools, if you were to if you were to give me a Pac-12 draft just for colleges, 
I feel like my top three are USC, Oregon, and Stanford. I am surprised that Stanford's kind of scrambling looking for a home. In terms of like the like the academic just, prestige? Just, just to say like, oh, we have Stanford in our conference. Would you rather have Stanford in your conference or Colorado? Stanford. Exactly. Would you rather have Stanford or Arizona State? Just in terms of having a college as your conference. Probably Stanford. Right. Like, yeah. If I'm the SEC, would I either have Florida or Alabama or Vanderbilt? Sure, Vanderbilt's got the, the academic side, but it's like, eh. I just, it's weird to me that Stanford has not been swooped up really quickly. Well, I, cause I think, unless they're choosing to hold out. I also think that Stanford, from, I think that they are more leaning towards going independent. There you go. Which actually does make sense for them based off of their academic standards and everything and the money that they can that they provide for themselves in private school and everything. Kind of like how Notre Dame has been independent for so many years. I think Notre Dame plays in the ACC for a lot of sports, and then they're independent for football, if I remember right. Yeah, they have some deal with the ACC for basketball where they play X amount of games. No, I actually think they're in the is conference, it, but I think it? that deal is for football. I think the football deal is right. But I think that they compete in the ACC for basketball. And a lot in like lacrosse and, and ba- a lot of soccer for sure. So you're talking rich elitist East Coast sports, lacrosse, 100%. And water polo, and yeah, yeah. actual polo, and yeah. So, uh, yeah, I I guess I'm I don't know because I'm a football guy and I love football and I and I love what it's going to be do- for the football teams, right? Especially as a fan, right? It's going to be a lot of fun, but. Is that you look at the tweets from like the softball players and the baseball players, and to your point, like volleyball, basketball, whatever. Like, there's going to be softball players now, and it's, it's been Oregon, but I mean, I pro- USC, US, UCLA, are probably the farthest away, right? So you're going to have to go out to Rutgers for a weekend to play three games. There's three thousand miles away. Was that a six-hour plane trip for three games? Right. It's a long ways away. That's professional athlete stuff. Right. And these are the non-revenue sports who are not going to get paid like that. I know we we focus on how a lot of times pampered the football teams are and maybe the basketball teams, and depending on the school, maybe some of your smaller programs have swanky situations. But been doing plenty of travel in my days and seeing full teams riding economy class for oh yeah, 100%. golf tournaments, whatever it may be. I remember flying back from Arizona, and I sat next to the Washington State volleyball team. It was just a random trip home. But, you know, and I look back at their schedule, they played Arizona, then then two days later, or they played Arizona State, and then that night, they flew back to Portland. Nice. Like, that or see, I think they went to Seattle, and then it went to Pullman, right? So, in economy class, like, they weren't flying anything fancy, right? you know, because the team has 12 players, three coaches, three trainers, and a staffer. Like, it's 20 people. All right. They don't need to do anything fancy, and they don't pay for it either because they can't. They don't want to, and the team doesn't bring in enough money for them to do that. Well, college sports is becoming the haves and the have-nots, and we'll see where the remaining Pac-12 programs fall in that and see what happens. I would really hate to see the conference die out. I hope there's a way to resurrect this, whether that's going out and kind of pillaging the Mountain West or bringing the teams back in for non-football sports, whatever it may be. I hope we don't lose all the rivalries in the history. I, I love pomp and pageantry and tradition. Love to see some of that come back. We'll see where this all falls. Like you say, it may give us some cool new football rivalries with like Michigan and Oregon, but otherwise let's, let's keep some of the common sense involved. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, you know, there's some money talks, and it's unfortunate that it's money's driving a lot of what's going on in terms of 18 and 19 year olds. But 
said until until that changes, it's never going to be this. It's always going to change. So I just kind of want to sit back and enjoy the ride and, and see what happens. But you know, I don't want also the the young athletes to be so affected that it changes the mental state of of what's going to happen between them as well. And last time we were together, you were the typical downtrodden Mariners fan who's been burned one too many times. I'm a Twins fan. A Mariners fan by geographic proximity. But look who's here. As we're recording, 9-1 and one in their last 10. Winners of seven straight. Got some work to do to catch the Rangers and the Astros. But by golly, the Mariners are in the wild card AL pennant race. You said AL pennant race, sucker. It, are you Are you disagreeing? Yes. <laughs> They might be in the playoff hunt. That's a good. That's probably a better word to use. But uh, like, and we, you and I are both both openly Blue Jays fans. But if you look at this weird topsy turvy AL, and we get into this in the full episode, but the Red Sox are bad, the Yankees are bad, the Angels are bad, the Twins are bad. The Twins are in first place. The Twins are bad. They're in first place. Are you trusting the Orioles, the Rangers, or the Jays? They, the Mariners have just as much of a chance. Sure, you've got the Astros hanging in there, and we both love the Blue Jays, but they continue to let us down every year. You're telling me any of those teams are defiantly better than the Mariners, except for maybe the Astros? Yeah, the Twins. <laughs> the Twins beat them three out of four. Who, who In a five-game series, I'm supposed to trust the Twins? Are they going to meet in that weird little one-game wild card? You play? know what? Okay. So I guess the Twins are going to – no, the Twins would have to play in the wild. The here's what the people don't understand about the Twins on Soapbox is <laughs> the Twins are bad. Yes, yes. That's, that is true. That true. is – I don't disagree with that. But but the Twins do have is the number one pitching staff in the, in the league. Excuse you? You can look it up. And so what's going to – and – and, and, and the Twins don't have to play the Yankees in the playoffs. Hello. I mean, unless the Yankees go on some miracle run. <laughs> is, that, is, is, that, is that the qualifiers as long as the Yankees are oh, out of the way, the we, Twins are fine? We've lost to them 18 straight games in the playoffs. So, Sonny, uh, okay. So, this guy named Joe Ryan is currently out. He'll be back for the playoffs. But you're trying to tell me that Sonny Gray, two guys I've never heard of in Joe Ryan and Pablo Lopez. Look at this. Then, look at this. Then, and then Kenta Maeda is the best rotation. Look at the stats. I I believe in names, not stats. Look at the stats. I'm not talking about the names. I'm talking about the stats. I'm trying to be a sports radio blowhard where I don't actually research anything and I just say bombastic, loud statements. Yeah, well, look at the stats. <laughs> I'm just – and so <laughs> the thing is that – Man, look at all those three-and-a-half-plus ERAs. Woo! Is, uh, the <laughs> is the thing is – that do the are the twins good? No, but <laughs> they have because of their pitching staff. It gives them a fighting chance. They haven't had that in the past. It's been the opposite where they've had you know they had the bomber squad where they broke their home run record right, and they've had all these big home run hitters and Luis Arise and really good offenses. Byron Buxton, like woo, let's go! And then they get to the playoffs and the bats go cold and they get swept. So. It's been it's just a different team and I'm not saying that they're going to do anything in the playoffs but this team is built to potentially beat a team or two because they say at the end of the day pitching and defense will win you more games than sticks will. So off my soapbox. Uh Byron Buxton 85 games played this year. Look at him go. He's on the 10-day injured list right now but he's getting career high pretty soon. Well, 
Look at how many games he's played in center field. So we'll we'll go around here, around the horn, but for a, a quick one minute on the AL West, Rangers, look, we're at about 115 games played, 120 games played, so we got about 40 to 50 games left depending on the team. So we've got the Rangers with about a five-game lead over the Mariners, and you've got the Astros sandwich between. So for our Mariners fans out there, what is your uh, – are, are we predicting happiness or just uh, it's just going to be close but no cigar? I'm going to predict happiness because they have a good pitching staff as well, and their pitching staff has gone a lot better through the course of the season. Um, and like I said, I said I, you fall back on it, right? Offense is offense is fun. It's glorious. It, it is really fun. It's good to have it. But so when you have a good pitching staff, that's going to make a difference. And I said at the beginning of the year, right? If the Mariners bullpen can figure their crap out, then they're going to have a good team. And in the last twenty or so games, the bullpen has pitched significantly better. And look at what's happening. So if they can continue on this tra- trajectory for the next 30, 40 games, then they absolutely have a chance to make it to the playoffs. But if the bullpen can't continue up what they're doing now because their starters are good, then they're not going to do it. So it all depends on that back end, those back-end guys, and can they finish the games? Can they not give up late leads? Can they get the outs when they need to get the outs? And if that's the case, then absolutely the Mariners have a chance to make it into the playoffs. As we sit here, a game and a half back of the Blue Jays, but as you mentioned, a good weekend, a couple good series could completely change that, a tight race. I don't know that anybody behind them is going to catch them. Also, I told you the whole Angels trading Shohei was a ridiculous idea, So they're, but they're out of it right around 500. The Red Sox and the Yankees can't seem to get out of their own ways. So I think you're looking at the Rays, who may be losing some of their steam, but more on that later. The Astros... I think the Astros could overtake the Rangers, but the Rangers would really have to fall apart for the Mariners, I think, to get in that picture. And then the Blue Jays. I think you're going to have the Blue Jays, the Rays, and the Mariners here fighting for that last couple spots. I, I It's fun for the Mariners to get in if they can keep this hot streak going. But you've, you and the other Mariners fans have convinced me not to get too excited about Seattle baseball. I mean, I just want the Mariners to play the Twins in the playoffs so I can go to a game. So we're, that's what we're rooting for here. Game in Seattle or a game in Minneapolis? The game would end up being in Minneapolis because the Twins are the division leaders. So that's Ooh. a bummer, but... Ro- road trip. You want to go? You want to go? Only take you about 24 hours to drive there. Not in not in October. What's, uh, there's not snow? Yeah, I'm not tempting Montana in that weather. <laughs> you crazy, boy. Well... For the hour-long show here, let's take a look at what else we have going on in the American League. As we mentioned, the Rays, still the leaders, feel like they're not as... Or sorry, got to get the right standing in front of me. The Rays have fallen off behind the Orioles. I keep waiting for the Orioles to be not good, but they are the second team to 70 wins behind the Red Hot Braves. So you've got the Orioles and the Rangers and the Rays. And then we drop down to the Astros, Blue Jays, Mariners. Every team is better than the Twins. The Twins are going to get in. So I think you're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six. I do think we're down to about seven teams in the hunt here because we have to let somebody from the Central in. Are we trusting the Rangers to stay this hot? Are we And about the Rays, the Shane McClanahan, whose name I'm pretty sure I added a syllable to every time I say it, but he's one of their aces, and he is now out. The Rays are scoring like crazy. I just can't bring myself to trust the Orioles and the Rangers. The Rays and Astros have been here before. So look at your top, kind of your top five, Orioles, Rangers, Rays, Astros, Blue Jays. 
What do we make of this home stretch? Didn't the Rangers just trade for someone really good, really big? Did that just happen? Scherzer? Who went to the the Rangers? I think they went to the Mets yard sale and got Max Scherzer. So the Mets were like, oh, we were supposed to be the favorite and we were terrible. So they traded Scherzer to the Rangers and Verlander back to the Astros. Yeah, okay. So uh, the Rangers will be better now. And they would be more trustworthy now. Can I, can I, as much as I love Max Scherzer, I think he's been the best pitcher in baseball in the last 15 years. I, I just, in a, in a clutch series, I'm not sure that I'm trusting Scherzer or Verlander. Maybe in like my game four, if it's not a. Clutch. Why not? I just, Don't they have MVPs? Like, I feel who, like their best days are behind. Yeah, they're, they're two, they're Hall of Famers for sure. They're Cy Young players, but I just, I'm worried that Scherzer and Verlander's best days are behind them. I think you need two or three other arms in your rotation to take some of that load off and i mean the astros have what framber valdez and company not sure what else the rangers have uh yeah that's a good question but uh let's research a i would i don't know you (laughs) i think that when you have that guy in the playoffs that guy makes that big of a difference so here's your rangers i have nathan eovaldi is dealing with injuries and then you got Scherzer, Jordan Montgomery, John Gray, and Andrew Heaney. And lest we forget, a Roldis Chapman. It's a relieving reliever. Not even their main closer, but a relief pitcher. How old is he now? How many teams has not, he played for? Not as old as Scherzer. And Can you name all the teams that he's played for? Cubs. Yankees. Who drafted him? Or the Reds. He Dang. started with the Reds. Dang it. So he went from the Reds to the Cubs was part of their World Series run. He's basically been like a World Series mercenary. Went to the Cubs and then went to the Yankees. The Yankees get one when he was there or were they just in contention? Because he was there for seven seasons. Well, they haven't been really in contention since 2009. And then spent a year with the Royals or part of this year with the Royals and then got flipped to the Rangers. So he's been on five teams. He was relief man of the year in 2019. But I think his, his big thing was being on that Cubs team when they finally broke the curse and then having some good years, good and bad years with the Yankees. Yeah, well, he does throw really hard. But the Twins have a guy that throws harder. So <laughs> say that, again, Johan Duran has the fastest pitch in the league this year, 104.8 or something. So the Astros rotation, again, I Verlander, is, they list as him as their number one starter. Framber Valdez is the two. Some guy named Hunter Brown is three, Christian Javier is four, and then Jose Urquidy is five. So I like their rotation a little bit better, a little bit more familiar. Ryan Presley is their closer. I We know how much I'm not an Astros fan. I just look at this. and Darren I, goes off of names, not numbers. Darn right. Names, uh, not numbers. I don't want, I don't want to do research. Uh, no, I, just, I don't want it to be the Astros. Just nobody here scares me any more than the Astros do. That's, that's I want I want the Mariners of the Rays to get hot and, or Mariners of the Blue Jays to get hot and be the team since I've now finally given up on the Yankees and Angels. Names, and not White Sox. numbers. Well, the Rangers have a better pitching staff than the Astros do by far. Um, and if you just – I mean, again, it's a, in the playoffs, experience makes a big difference. I do agree with that. And so can we trust the Rangers down the stretch to make a run, right? We don't know that because they don't have a guys that have had that kind of experience outside of Chapman and Max Scherzer, really, right? And so that's going to be an issue. But at the same time, if you base off of averages and the law of averages and what the teams can do and what they've shown all season, you say you have to trust the Rangers more just based off of the fact that they've numerically been the better staff. And again, that doesn't mean that they're going to be the team that's going to make it to the playoffs and make a run because you say 
when it comes to the playoffs, it's players, not it's the players make the plays, right? And so you have to have guys that have been there, done that, reliable, or that have that in their veins to be able to to, to step up when it matters. So in that case, the Astros, obviously, with the run that they've had, I think they've been to like five straight championship series, right? They've been really, really good for a long time. Won a couple World Series, cheaters or not, whatever they've done it right. So, so they have that experience and they have those players that have been there. Um, but we're all praying that the Astros don't make it, even though like three quarters of that team that cheated is still not there. Nobody likes the Astros anymore. So go Rangers. Yeah, but they still got the guy whose name I'm suddenly blanking on. Jose Altuve. There we go. Uh, also, let's just quick tip of the hat to your Orioles. It'd be great for baseball if the Orioles knock out the Astros. Been to Camden Yards. Love it. While I'm not a diehard for any team, the Orioles are one of my, if somebody has to win, I'd rather it be them. Don't know much about any of their people other than Cedric Mullins is going to be the superstar. And your guy, how have we gone this whole time without talking about your favorite player in the majors? Adley Rutschman. Adley Rutschman. There he is. Home run derby. Catcher for the Orioles. Maybe one of the next big stars for the next decade. So. He's a Mike Trout kind of dude is the thing. Ooh, that's high praise. I'm not saying that he's that kind of talent. I'm saying no. that he's that kind of player in, sen- in the sense of he'll probably be super loyal to the Orioles. Uh I don't know how good of a franchise the Orioles are going to be, right? I said they may shoot. He might play in more playoff games already than Mike Trout will, based off of this season, <laughs> which is crazy to think about. But I just don't. He's just kind of that quiet superstar. Like he's not going to be in a bunch of advertisements necessarily. Just kind of but. does his job, hangs out, loves to play baseball, um, and that's just kind of the that's kind of where he's going to be. But which is good for the Orioles, by the way. Because that means that he's not going to have an, any desire to want to go to change cities, to change teams. So he'll probably be pretty loyal. Well, that was going to be my question. If So he's on his rookie deal right now, only in his second season. How long do you sign like rookie deals in baseball? So like three or four years or at like eight? It depends on how long they stay in the minor leagues for. Ah. So, But just think, if he's with the Orioles for a couple more years, and then his big $60 million a year, 10-year deal comes through, he wants to come back home, and the Mariners pick up the phone. Man, Adley Rushman coming back the West Coast for the Mariners. Probably not going to happen. No. Sorry. I'm not saying that it won't, but I'm just, based off of who what I've learned about him, it, I just don't see that as something. Because Mike Trout could have left Anaheim multiple times, and his hometown team is who? The Minnesota Twins. The Yankees. Oh, really? He's from Jersey. Oh. And are you telling me that the Yankees would not pay that dude a hundred million dollars a year? They're pretty. They're pretty cash strapped. Last time I checked, that's not the reality <laughs> of it. So, but I that's just not what has happened. And so, you know, is it is it a possibility? Yeah, totally. You know, you can never put anything past what past baseball, especially when there's no salary cap. You have no idea what can happen. But I also haven't found the Mariners to be high spenders. Right, it's been kind of an issue, and the. The Adley Richmond, I just and again he's a year two, so like there's no guarantee. But I just see him as you know grateful, loyal. You know, so I think that they're like 150 and 70 when he's catching. Like they're really, wow. really, really, really good. Um, and I don't see him leaving anytime soon. Uh, well. I, we're Rutschman fans here and fans of the Orioles. If we have to pick a team, still not giving up on our Blue Jays. But if it has to be, I'd rather it be the Orioles than the Rangers or Astros. Or the Yankees. Screw the Yankees. As for the National League, 
The Braves are doing brave things. I've said this on several episodes. As much as I did not pick the Braves, they are looking terrifying. If I had to pick a team right now, they do feel like easily the favorite. But look who's hot on their heels. My beloved Philadelphia Phillies. And by beloved, I mean I picked them to win it all this year. And they finally have gotten things right. 7-3 and three in their last 10. Still don't love the offense, but they're at least doing enough to win games. Hopefully this is a peaking at the right time situation. So they have pretty comfortably played their way into the wild card hunt. I don't think they're catching the Braves. But now that the Mets have were terrible and sold off their pieces, the Marlins are hanging in there. But we got Braves, Phillies, top of the East. The Central, kind of like the AL Central, but a little better here. Wide open race, the Brew Crew that we expected to be at the top. And how about them Cubbies? Ben and Fuego in the month of August. I'm not sure what got into the Cubs, but they're in there. And everybody's beloved little upstart team in the Cincinnati Reds, who I may or may not have placed a bet on for them to win the Central at pretty good odds. But a tight three-horse race there in the Central. Pirates, as fun as they were early in the year, they've really fallen off. we got a good race in the top three. And out West, maybe the most intriguing, because you've got the Dodgers doing what the Dodgers do there and there. The Giants quietly in second, hunting for one of those wild-card spots. Feel pretty good about it right now. The Diamondbacks, who we all loved before the All-Star break, that they were going to be a team who's in there really cratering as we're sitting here recording. Before the Twins swept them, by the way. Losers of eight straight. Twins must have been part of that. Hmm. One in nine in their last ten. And then the Padres continue, well, depending on how you feel about the Mets or the Yankees, but I would say the Padres are the most disappointing team in baseball with that billion-dollar payroll and how excited we all were for them. And then the lowly Rockies at the bottom. But as we sit here in the National League after that big, long soliloquy, Braves, Phillies, Brewers, Cubs, Reds, Dodgers, Giants are your cream of the crop right now. And the Marlins. <sighs> Don't mind me. Darren's making me record this before I have a 6.30 meeting in the morning. So yeah. I... Uh... It's it's late. We're punchy. So I'm a little nerpy. I'm a little tired. But you know, <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be. You're tired. Talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates. Well, their their most exciting player isn't playing right now. That's true. So that's hard. There's always next year, Pirates. There's always next year. We love next year. <laughs> Is it? Who are you more disappointed in, the Padres or the Mets? The Padres. Oh, okay, I just wanted to see if I was right on that. Yeah. I mean, they have arguably, I mean, so they have Manny Machado, Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis. If there is a team that has a better three superstars on that, can you give it to me? There's a team with two that is also a disappointment. Yeah, yeah, Trout and Otani. Right. Yankees have what? Judge and Stanton. Which Stanton is... uh, Healthy half the time, and supposedly this Anthony Volpe who's supposed to be the next Jeter, but that's yeah, still but a couple he's years not away. compared to the, no way. That is, I, I brought him up as well because, yeah, you mentioned. I mean, Machado, Soto, and Tatis. I think you're right for the top three, and then also Xander Bogarts is there, and Jake Cronenworth is there, and Gary Sanchez is there, and Josh Hader is there, and you Darvish is there, and Blake Snell is there, and Joe Musgrove is there. So they have like ten All Stars on this team. And they're going to finish below 500. Or 10 former All-Stars or potential All-Stars or right. whatever word you want to use, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I think if you – I mean, the other disappointment would be you got going, Anthony Rendon, who got signed with the Angels. Probably that's the other one. Uh, has a, he played since he got signed there? Not really. I mean, he got in a fight <laughs> with a fan and then disappeared off the face of the earth. So um, I just don't know that there's another trio of players that are, were expected to do so much for a franchise. Right. That, I mean, again, really, in name value, is there another franchise that has three players of that 
of the mm-hmm. of that caliber, just in name value. Dodger. Well, are we including pitchers or just fielders? Well, you can go in the entire team. The Dodgers probably do. Let me see. Do- Dodgers with when Walker Bueller's there. Walker Bueller, Kershaw, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman. Totally. Maybe. Maybe. But they're also sixty-eight and forty-six. Yeah, see, the Dodgers, are, as much as we can all hate the Dodgers and would not be shocked if most baseball fans hate the Dodgers, at least they back it up. You know, and so, like, I really, and so you can talk for what it is, but so you probably listed off eight players that were that have all-star potential talent. And so when you have all-star potential talent like that, it's that do you blame the organization? Do you blame the fans? Do you blame the manager? Do you blame the general manager? who do you blame the players is it the players fault i think there's a little bit of yeah you have to look at the whatever's happening in the front office the coaching and the players all have to share some of this blame yeah and so it's because you have to have joe torrey was really good at this you have to when you are dealing with superstars that's why uh former lakers coach i can't even think of his name phil Phil Jackson jackson was so good is because he the reason why i mean he has 11 rings for say what you want but he also coached two of the three, you know, arguably best players that have ever played the game, potentially, right? And so, uh, and you deal with ego management, you deal with, you know, big money, you deal with Shaquille O'Neal, you deal with Kobe Bryant, who's going to work out 15 hours a day, you deal with Air Jordan, you deal with all these things, and it takes a big ego manager to be able to handle that. So, you know, do you look at the manager? Is he just not handling the situation properly? Is he, you know, mismanaging the egos or not dealing with the money right or not letting them be more, you know, allow them to be themselves? Or, you know, is it that route? Or are the players too me-centric and too, too worried about, my home run celebration when I'm rounding third base and my bat flip and I want to hit 75 home runs and watch me go, you know, is that the problem? Right. Or is it the, the energy within the clubhouse and the culture and the general manager? And is it that, you know, it's, there's no way of really knowing unless you're inside and want to take a good look at what's going on, but it's not awesome if you're, the owner are running that team to think that you put this team together and this is the result. And it it is hard to say from the outside, not knowing what's going on with those players and the interpersonal relationships, the, the optics of it though, just look like maybe don't assemble billionaires club when you get the guys who are, and they could all love each other. We don't know that it could just, it could be something totally different with coaching mechanics or some toxic environment, but it just does feel weird where when you talk about teams who we want to build from inside out, I know it's a different sport, but the Warriors, they got guys who were in it for each other. They drafted them. They bought into the culture. They had that system in place. You see it with like the Kansas City Chiefs, who, yeah, they'll sign big-name guys, but it's mostly it's Andy Reid and Mahomes, and they build around that, where the Padres, and this happens more often in baseball than the other sports, but it's hired, it's hired guns, it's mercenaries, it's let's go sign somebody for $500 million, regardless of how they fit into our system what are we building yeah but you look at this year what teams are good it's that the orioles built from within the rangers right. built from within the rays built within from, say what you want about the twins they've more or less built from within outside of a handful of players like and as much as the we, mariners have done that outside of a handful right. of players right like they're good ones yeah and as much as we hate the astros and however you know they built from within right, the they're maybe they stole some of the intel but yeah they they Springer, Correa, Altuve, other than Verlander, they really kind of built those guys 
from within. And I think the same could be said with the Braves, who my new favorite MLB pitcher, Spencer Strider, wasn't he one of their... He, Matt Olson, Ozzie Albies, Austin Riley, Ronald Acuna, weren't these all kind of homegrown they were farm all system guys? 100%. 100%. I think, and that's the thing, like one or two guys you can get a, who's that guy who's going to put us over the top in a midseason a trade deadline deal, but to have your whole team be, let's just go and give out the biggest offers to the 10 best players. I think it's a lesson in maybe not doing that. Yeah, I think there just has to be a balance between the two. You can't go one way or the other. I think the Yankees are also kind of learning that as well um, because there's a reason why they haven't won a World Series since 2009, honestly. And the reason – and they said they, the World Series that they did win and said people want to say everything about how the Yankees buy championships. I don't know that he, they bought those championships, though. A lot of those players were Yankee players. Yeah, I think I think we get confused about that with the Yankees as we talk about them like that. But you look at their team, sure, they may go sign one or two big arms, but it was drafting and developing guys like Jeter who can instill that mentality in a team. Or I think one of the things you have with like the Patriots, Tom Brady could speak the Belichick gospel. Granted, he was amazingly talented, but to get the other guys to buy in, it's okay, we have the, the homegrown players like Tom Brady who can preach the gospel to the rest of the guys and get everybody to buy in. And I'm not sure that the Padres have that, if that is the issue. Well, I, I mean, who is the leader out of, on, on that team? Like, who's the captain? Are you Darvish the captain? Blake Snell the captain? That is a good question. Manny I, would, Machado. I would assume Machado, but who knows? And no offense to Machado, you is that the guy that you want leading your franchise? I will, I will openly admit to not knowing every Padres player, but Darvish was a deal. Blake Snell was a deal. Waka was a deal. Uh, was Josh Hader... He, a, he was a midseason trade. He was mid Gary Sanchez came in. Maybe Jake Cronenworth, maybe the kind of see the long term Padre. But they signed Machado, they signed Bogarts, they signed Soto, they signed Tatis, they signed Choi. So just kind of this. It's, I mean, we've all seen Avengers Civil War. You know, just because you're on the same team doesn't mean you're always best friends. 100%. You never know what's going to happen. Some, some people are Team Captain America, some people are Team Iron Man, and. Maybe maybe you work out your differences. Is it, so the MCU is a movie franchise. I don't know why you would ever be Team Captain America, but oh, I don't. Why would you want to be Team Iron? Iron Man is the worst superhero. I don't know why you think that. Of of all the MCU, I, and I, I've watched some of the movies. I have no interest in watching an Iron Man movie. Why? I don't know if it's Robert Downey Jr. or just the they're concept so of inter- Iron Man. They're so entertaining. He is a discount Batman. That is not true. Guardians, fantastic. Spider Man, awesome. Captain America, wonderful. Black Panther, great. Captain Marvel, bad movies, but great character. Iron Man, I'm just, eh. Man, the, just the hate oozing out of your pores right now is ridiculous. Well, Iron Man is the San Diego Padres of superheroes. So who's your favorite superhero? Like, of all, like in the MCU, in DC, and like all the No, things? just like, who's your guy? Let's see. Eight-year-old me probably would have said Spider-Man. I mean, there's 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 votes for Spider Man. I've got Wolverine. I've got the Ninja Turtles. It's tough to narrow it down. The Ninja Turtles are they, are they technically superheroes? Yeah, obviously. Just because they're not a Marvel doesn't mean they're not a superhero. I'm just asking. I'm just. I mean, you are, are so are, defensive. Are are Gohan and Goku superheroes? It's an it's an anime thing. I know who they are. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I'm just. I, I I will put together my March bra- my March Madness superhero bracket, and I will narrow it down. The Flash is gonna win. So I mean. <laughs> aren't we not aren't we not allowed to not like the flash anymore why yeah, look it up on your own time 
Okay. Well, anyways. It's a family-friendly show. We can't talk about The Flash. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, So, we're close to our time. As we mentioned, it's late. We're punchy. But for football this week, we did have the Hall of Fame. So, I need to know who you're going to put in the Hall of Fame. Ah. Would you like to look at active guys on my list? Or we can look at some of the just missed the cut currently eligible players. What sport are we doing? So football, it's the like hundred yards. They call it the gridiron, and they throw a pigskin. It's brown little oblong ball. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm following. I'm following. So, I okay. Tell me more. Tell me more. I want you to tell me if the following players deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. If we stopped football today, there was never any more football games played. Who would be a guaranteed lock? At some, at some point, yes. They don't need to be first ballots because not everybody is Joe Thomas. God, he was so good for such a bad franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Talking, speaking of Mike Trout, Joe Thomas is the Mike, Mike Trout of the NFL. He like, so much wasted like talent. He played like a thousand straight snaps or something right, ridiculous. Like an, an all-NFL, all-time player. Like the, the starting lineup, like our Space Jam team. Includes Joe Thomas. Is Joe Thomas. 100%. Yeah, buddy. Okay, yeah, give me some names. Let's go rattle them off for me. Current players. No more downs ever played. Are they in the Hall of Fame? Okay. Calais Campbell. No. Been around a long time. Yeah. Monster tight, monster defensive end. No. Two for one package here. Tyron Smith and Zach Martin, Dallas Cowboys offensive lineman. Zach Martin would be. I think he is. No love for Tyron Smith. No. Because I, I tried to go for guys who... They, those are really good players, by the way. See, that's, oh, the, they're players that are like like people wouldn't think about. But yeah, those yeah they're, are, they're, that's what that's... You know, if you believe Dion, it's become the Hall of Very Good, not the Hall of Fame. Totally. So where, where is your line for greatness? Like Guys like Travis Kelsey are for sure going in. Aaron totally. Donald, Khalil Mack are for sure going in. These are guys who are like, are they going in? And maybe that's part of the question. If you hear their name and it's not a knee-jerk, yes, they're in, should they be in? I get it. Keep rolling. Like Aaron Rodgers is for sure going in. Eh. And I didn't put in any young guys like as great as I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is right on the cusp for me because like he's been great, but he hasn't been around that long. But like a, like a Justin Jefferson, your guy Justin Jefferson, amazing. He's not a Hall of Famer Career's right now. not long enough yet. Right. Not even close. Okay. That's just making sure on the same page you're great, but like I need more than three-year sample size to put you in. 100%. Well, he hasn't even broken any records yet. I mean, not really. And I mean, maybe if he caught for 2000 yards last year, then it's a totally different deal, but he's not there yet. So since we're talking about the Vikings, Ah. Harrison Smith, no, not a hall of famer. He's so good, but he's not, I don't like Vikings ring of honor. Oh, I, I, yeah. That's okay. that's Where like, whatever you guys do, retire number or ring of honor. You or do something. ring of honor. Yeah, ring of honor. They don't retire numbers. You know how many people have worn number 84 since Randy Moss has left that field? <laughs> Too so, many. And I know it's a, it was cornerback over defensive back, but Rondé Barber got in this year. More of a cornerback than a safety. Yeah, he Harrison, was. Harrison Smith and not on Rondé. So, like, for example, Rondé Barber got in, but well, but Rodney Harrison has been left out for several years. The thing about Rondé, did Rondé Barber win a championship? He, yeah, Rondé Barber was part of that team. With, he was, right? the John Gruden Buccaneers. And, I mean, uh, so the thing that's, the thing, the problem with Harrison Smith is that he played in Minnesota. <laughs> and it's not even the championships. It's the fact that 
you think about the upper Midwest media, like there's nobody right. like they say you go down to Texas. How many how many Dallas Cowboy fans could tell you exactly who Harrison Smith is? That's true. How many Miami fans could tell you who Harrison Smith is? You know, how many Jets fans could tell you who Harrison Smith is? I said, outside of the NFC North, there's probably not a lot of people in the in, that are in the NFL fan bases that go, yeah, I know that guy. He's a stud. Like Troy Polamalu, so you ask right. NFL fan bases who that is, so they knew exactly who he was. And there's a reason why he was in the Hall of Fame. Brian Dawkins, Ed Reed, right? That you, you think about, um, what's his name? The favorite of the Seahawks for so many years. Um, center fielder. God, what is his name? Earl Thomas. Oh, okay. Right? You say, those are big-time players. And not Fair to say that Harrison Smith wasn't, but he doesn't get thought of like those players do. Well, and I think a lot of that may apply to a lot of these guys is they're not J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald-level names. But uh, go to Cam Jordan, then. Kind of maybe the same situation. I don't think so. Whoa. Defensive end for the Saints. He's really, really, really good. Getting closer to home for you, Bobby Wagner. Yeah, I think he'd be a Hall of Famer. So, guys who are linebackers who made the semifinal ballot this year but did not get in include London Fletcher, Pat Willis, and Which Patrick Willis Harrison. not getting in the Hall of Fame is also crazy. He was the best right. player at his position for three or four years. He was a five time first team All Pro. That is crazy. So, Pro Football Reference has this kind of Hall of Fame monitor. Um, so all the players who made the list this year, Joe Thomas had the highest, Darrell Revis, Zach Thomas, and then fourth on that list was Patrick Willis. So you have Pat Willis, Reggie Wayne, Torrey Holt, Steve Smith, Jari Evans are the top guys on that list who were eligible this year and were at least semifinalists or better. They narrowed it down to a list of top 32. Patrick Willis is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, so he's been eligible, I think, three or four times now. Yeah, that still hasn't made it. Is crazy. Not, not a super long career, so I get where people say, "Well, he only played seven years," but in those seven years, he was a first team All Pro five times. <laughs> I think it's like the Tyree Kill argument that people want to make now: Should Tyree Kill be in? Played seven years, but he's been a first team All Pro. See, but I don't think that Tyree Kill would be a Hall of Famer right now. Right. I, I'm the wide receiver is a tricky one, and I got one, two guys on here to discuss that point. But no, there's there's a lot of good wide receivers sitting out there who made the ballot this year. Steve Smith, Andre Johnson. No, let's just do this by position. Be smart about it. Steve Smith, Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, Torrey Holt, Anquan Bold, and Heinz Ward. I, I have Reggie Wayne and Andre Johnson and maybe Steve Smith. Yeah, Steve Smith is borderline. Anquan Bolden, maybe, maybe. I, I was a huge fan of Anquan Bolden and Heinz Ward when they played, but if we're talking that the like this is the elite of the elite of the elite, I mean, there's yeah, that's good, fair. great elite legend Hall of Fame. So, it's again, it's... And Heinz Ward was really good. He, I think he won an MVP, Super Bowl MVP, but I guess that doesn't qualify you for the Hall of Fame, even for, you know, partially. But um, I, I, he, yeah, you know, yeah, you probably have that right, I honestly. Like, and people forget how good, would you say, Reggie Wayne or who? Or, uh, Reggie, Reggie Wayne, Torrey Holt, and Steve Steve Smith, Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, Torrey Holt, all kind of sit careers very mirror each other when they started. You don't think stopped. Torrey Holt's a Hall of Famer? Oh, I think Torrey Holt's in. When you when you look at the numbers for what wide receivers did, and people can say, oh, well, he played in the greatest show on turf, and it was system, blah, 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 blah. He was also the best receiver on that team. Right. For like eight straight years, he was the leading receiver. Um, so, no, I think Andre Johnson is the best of all of them. But you, I think Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, Torrey Holt are all in, and I'd be, I could be convinced on Steve Smith. Yeah, but you know, Andre Johnson also fell victim to playing in a on a franchise that right. sucked. Yeah, imagine because how good. He, 
if Andre Johnson had played with the Colts, like switch Andre Johnson and Reggie if Wayne. If he had just played with a quarterback. <laughs> he played with many. That's what we play with the older Carr, mm-hmm. David Carr. Was that his QB? When they had no offensive line, so Carr just got destroyed. Yeah, he averaged like six sacks a game. Right. No, if Andre Johnson could have gone to the Packers and played with Aaron Rodgers, like a young Aaron Rodgers, or played, or the Steelers, played, or yeah, gone or, to gone to Atlanta or, and had like five good years with Matt Ryan, something yeah, like that. Because I, I also go to the Chargers and play with Philip Rivers. Because I also think Julio Jones is a potential oh, yeah. Hall of Famer. I think Julio's in a hundred percent. But receiver again, to your point, is tricky because you can have the talent and not have the quarterback. Right, Calvin and, Johnson. Well, Calvin Johnson was had the quarterback. They didn't have the old line. He yeah. was probably the only weapon on that team. So they just chucked it and prayed. Well, got well. Since we're talking about wide receivers, I had two on my list. Let's just get a two for one here: Keenan Allen and Mike Evans. Mike Evans should be a Hall of Famer. He's had like eight straight thousand yard seasons. Right. Keenan Allen is not. Ooh. But Mike Evans is so underrated. It's crazy. <laughs> if, I was better, if I was better prepared, I'd have their numbers in front of me right no, now. No, I swear he's had probably I, – I don't know the exact I think number. in the NFL Top 100, they said Mike Evans has had nine consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. Which is – like because him and uh, Johnny Manziel came out the same year, I think, right? Oh, yeah. Were they on that A&M team together? Oh, yeah. That, that's why Manziel looks so good in college because he was throwing to Mike Evans. Uh, it helps. It helps <laughs> a lot. So – this the list I'm looking at still considers guys like Julio and Deshaun Jackson and AJ Green active, whether or not they actually are. What do you um, think about Deshaun Jackson? No, no way. So uh-huh. my my of like actually, well, I guess D Hop is still playing, but Mike Evans is fifth amongst active receivers, and he's done it all in Tampa. He had like two and a half good years of Tom Brady, but he had a lot of years of not Tom Brady throwing to him. Well, Jameis Winston was good. He just threw a lot of interceptions. So Mike Evans and Devonte Adams came out the same year, and Mike. Uh, Mike Evans has 800 more receiving yards than Devontae. Mm-hmm. Keenan, Keenan Allen came out the year before them and is about 1,200 yards behind Mike Evans right now. Yeah. So? D, D-Hop and Keenan Allen came out in the same draft. 2000, what, 13, 14, 13. Yeah, 13. So those guys were 2013. Adams and uh, Adams Evans go to Fresno State? Yeah, that's why he and Carr are buddies. That's so strange to me. Right. All right. And then... Two two more quick ones here. So we got so far you've put in Zach Martin, Bobby Wagner, Mike Evans, the Honey Badgers. The Honey Badger in? No. Tyron Matthew? No. But he's fun. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I'm fun. I'm not a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Can I start that campaign though? Yeah, hundred percent, please. I mean, I don't know what the rules are to get somebody nominated for the NFL Hall of Fame, but I'll send in game film. I think that I'll your, pro- your mom give me some home I videos. I probably qualify, honestly. There's got to be some Austin tape running around in a number 84 jersey <laughs> somewhere. We'll just tell people it was a Vikings jersey. and It was a Vikings jersey. All right. And the last one, Matthew Stafford. I think he's a Hall of Famer. And now that he has a Super Bowl, he is probably a, he's a uh, Hall of Famer. That was going to be my question. Does the, does the Super Bowl put him over the he top? He threw for 5,000 yards a lot. He's I don't know. <laughs> for the Lions. <laughs> I mean, that dude went through some treacherous years. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. So for some reason, Pro Football Reference still considers Tom Brady and Matt Ryan to be active. If you take the two of them out, Matt Stafford is currently second among active players in passing yards with 52,000. A.A. Ron Rodgers is at 59,000. And then you drop down 10,000 yards to Flacco, Russell Wilson, Andy Dalton, Kirk Cousins, blah, 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 blah. Kirk Cousins! 
Sorry. I had so that's, but that, that's the thing is Stafford has a lot of passing yards, he has gaudy numbers, but a lot of, you know, empty stats, really. I don't care. You won a Super Bowl. All right. It's, this is absurd. So Stafford maybe has two good years. Maybe he gets back from his injury. He's at 52,000 yards, probably pass Eli. If he, if he stays around, he'll pass Eli for 10th. Rogers only going to keep going up. He's 9,000 yards behind Dan Marino right now at 61,000. Stafford going to get to 61,000? I don't think so. I think he's going to, he's not going to be able to stay healthy. Who, so is Marino number one? Who's number one? So the goat. This is this is absurd. Tom Brady's at number one with eighty nine thousand yards. <laughs> Drew Brees, another Hall of Famer, is at eighty, and then it drops all the way down to seventy one nine for Manning, and then Far Favre. So those four have really kind of separated, and then it bunches up a little bit. You got Big Ben, Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan, Marino, all in the sixty to sixty five thousand range. So depending on how many years Stafford has left, he'll get to sixty thousand if he's got maybe three good years left in him. Which I don't know. I don't. I yeah. Hard to say. So every everybody ahead of him, or over forty five thousand yards. Well, everybody over forty seven thousand is in the Hall of Fame. Carson Palmer's at forty six. Carson Palmer and Vinny Testaverde at forty six thousand yards. Those guys. That's where it gets a little dicey. But everybody else who's over fifty thousand yards is going to get in depending on how you feel about Philip Rivers. I don't know if I feel like Philip Rivers is a Hall of Famer, but I do think Matthew Stafford is a Hall of Famer. I think the Super Bowl was it. I mean, he was on the brink before, and now that he won a Super Bowl, because he proved that it wasn't just empty stats. You know, And maybe they were empty stats, but you give him an actual team, and he can win a Super Bowl. Right. I think that's, that's what's good to see these guys change teams and change locations, and you can really show what you can do and give it an opportunity. 100%. So... I think that he is a Hall of Famer. Well, there we go. Austin has put Zach Martin, Bobby Wagner, Mike Evans, and Matthew Stafford in the NFL. I don't Hall know that anybody could argue with that. Yeah, And like you say, it's kind of underrated, guys. How many people truly know how great Bobby Wagner is unless you're watching a lot of Seahawks or for one year the Rams? He was so good. Right? He was so good. Imagine if you played for like the Ravens or the Bears. Didn't he they- win a Super Bowl with the Seahawks? He was on that, and then wasn't he? He was on the Rams. No, was he just on the Rams last year? Or was he on the Rams team that won it? He was. He was on that team that won it with the Seahawks. But it's just like nobody cares about the Seahawks the way they do. Like you go play for the Ravens or the Bears, and people know all about your linebackers, or like you say, the Cowboys or the Packers who are always on TV. Yeah, I guess that's true. Plus, Bobby Wagner wasn't like a look at me guy. He wasn't Richard Sherman or Earl Thomas. He was just kind of the quiet muscle. I do think that he was probably more so a captain on that on those teams than they were, though. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think he's the. He just let them do their thing. He's like, okay. If he- it was like him and Earl Thomas, right? That defense was scary. They were so good. <laughs> like, I'm still – Cam Chancellor is still terrifying. Cam Chancellor. Who was their other corner? Brandon Browner? Yeah, they had a couple, but those it was it was Thomas Chancellor and Richard Sherman were the big three, and I think Brandon Browner was the main one on the Super Bowl team, but they kind of rotated that fourth cornerback position. They had uh... – yeah, Byron Murphy, was that his name? Byron Murphy? Sure. Uh who Michael Bennett? Michael uh yeah, they had Michael Bennett and um well the it was because KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner were the linebackers. They had Michael Bennett and there was another guy who was like a main edge rusher or defensive lineman. They had, they had an inside guy and an outside guy on the defensive line. Bruce Irvin was on that team, right? Was he? I thought he came in after the Super Bowl. I don't think so. Pretty sure he was on that team. That those teams, they, I, I mean, okay, the 2013. Boye boy, boy Mafe? 
Jeremy Lane, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Walter Thurmond, Cliff Averill, who's the one. Oh, yeah, Cliff Averill of. came over from the Lions, a defensive tackle. Red Bryant, Chris Clemens. Chris Clemens was good on for that. Yeah. They so. they have that good mix of like studs like Earl Thomas and Bobby Wagner and then your like a Chris Clemens role player guy who was really good. Yeah. So Tony McDaniel, who was really good. Frick. God, this roster was ridiculous. Yeah, tell Peyton Manning. I'm more worried about Peyton Manning's receivers. <laughs> They're the ones that got hit so hard. That's true. Well, Demar- they have Demarius Thomas. He was a big dude. He still got hit really hard. <laughs> yeah, that's. I remember watching Cam Chancellor in college at Virginia Tech and be like, I don't. That would hurt so much to get hit by him. He well, like looks six, like a monster. He's like six three. Yeah, and Brandon Browner was big too. But yeah, Cam Chancellor was. He looked like a linebacker playing safety. But Cam Ch- Brandon Browner wasn't on this team. The other corner was Byron Maxwell. But you mentioned Brandon Browner was there a little bit later. I think he was on the other team that went to the he Super was Bowl earlier. Was he earlier? I think he was earlier. No, Brandon Browner was around there for a little bit of that lob, but he was huge for a cornerback. Yeah, he's like six four. No, Cam- you know, you know where he went to high, went to college, Oregon State. Ah, yeah, you do know. I learned that Jordan Poyer is from this neck of the woods not that long ago. He sure is. I, I didn't. I never thought about it. He's an Oregon State guy and from Astoria or something. And then there's a there's another the wide receiver that got he used to play for the Saints. Um, there's or another Oregon State guy. This he's like one of the fastest receivers in the NFL. T.J. Hushmanzada. He tech- Ch- Chad Johnson. Okay, okay, okay. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Thomas. N- oh my Jesus Christ! No. Chris Olave. Okay, now you're just going OSU sucker. Robert Meacham. Oh my lordy! You see, you you can keep talking if you want to. You're not. Gonna, uh, you're not. Devery anymore. Henderson. No. Gary Payton. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of his name right now. I'm not, I'm looking it up, but I can't think of his name right now. He's. You saying played for the Seahawks? What are we talking about? Uh, no, he played for. The, he just signed with the Rams, maybe or the Cooper Charge. Cup. No, he just signed with the Chargers. Chargers. Mike Williams. No. Van Jefferson. I don't. Um. Whatever. It's fine. I don't. You. I'm good. We can. We can move on. Jaquiz Rogers. <laughs> the other Rogers brother. James Rogers. Sure. That's the other Rogers brother. So. Well, we've fulfilled our hour and then some tonight. Anything else we need to get to before we go to bed? No, I have a meeting in five, like se- literally seven hours. Just so. stay up all night and watch soccer. I probably will not do that. Oh, okay. Last yeah. time I called in sick, so I just didn't go. <laughs> Get home, sleep for seven hours. Not even that. Sleep for like four because we got to show up early to turn in our freaking stuff. It's so stupid, but whatever. Warriors never rest or something. I did watch Varsity Blues last night, so it's all I got all the uh, really bad coaching in oh, my brain. Sweet. Tell me more. I need that. Just yell at your players and berate and belittle them and have no sympathy and compassion because it's all about your glory. I was yelling at 10-year-olds today. It was fun. <laughs> as long as you do the Peyton Manning United Way sketch from SNL. What are you doing? Turn around. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's positive encouragement from your coach. That's what all the kids need. Yeah, I feel like Peyton Manning would be a good coach, right? That's going to be our show for this week. We thank you all for joining us and sticking with us. We'll be back here next week's episode. I believe we're getting into several. We got a fantasy football preview. We've got NFL season previews. We've got college football to get back to. And so it's going to be football heavy here for the next four or five weeks. And then actual football will be here. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, Who won that intense preseason game between the Seahawks and the Vikings? The freaking Seahawks. Hmm. Your torn allegiances. No, I'm not. 
want to thank you all for joining us. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.